Hello there guys and welcome to another episode of Genuine Chit Chat. Also you may be listening to this on the feed of Star Wars Comics in Canon, so hello to both of my respective audiences. To clarify I'm releasing this conversation on both feeds because it is with the famed author Claudia Gray who has written the Star Wars books Lost Stars, Bloodline, Leia Princess of Alderaan, Master and Apprentice, the short story of Master and Apprentice which is in the first certain point of view book as well as the upcoming High Republic novel Into the Dark. So I want to pop this on both feeds just so everyone who basically follows me in the podcasting realm can listen to this conversation if they so desire. It is a really good chat. I had a thrilling time with Claudia and well, I was just excited to release this onto the world. I've been kind of teasing at it a little bit over the last couple of months. So I don't want to ramble on at the start here for long. I'll give you a couple of quick bullet points and then the chat will get started immediately. So we speak about Claudia's writing process and her advice to would-be writers, as well as how she deals with sort of non-Star Wars fans and Star Wars fans, a kind of combination of that, her recommendations for her non-Star Wars books, and then after the first, say, 15 minutes or so, we then just delve into Star Wars in a huge amount. We talk about the grey area, the good and evil and narratives, relationships in Star Wars, duality in Star Wars, um, her development of Amelyn Holdo, who is the person who did the Holdo maneuver in Last Jedi, the bit where everything goes all quiet and she engages Lightspeed into the First Order's ships and whatnot. We also speak about how Claudia has collaborated with other creators such as Kevin Scott, the differences in writing comics and books, what makes a young adult novel, and lots of other things too. So yeah guys, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this. I'll include links in the description of Claudia Gray's website, her Twitter, and a few other things as well. And yeah, really hope you guys enjoy it. Let Claudia Gray know how much you enjoyed it, if you did, via social media and all that sort of jazz. And yeah, I'll talk to all you guys at the end to give you more information of what's coming up, both on Genuine Chit Chat and Styles Comics and Canon and other stuff I'm involved with. So yeah, thanks a lot guys. Welcome to Genuine Chit Chat, where we have honest conversations with interesting people. And I'm your host, Mike Burton. Right then, I am here today with Claudia Gray. Now, Claudia, I think you would probably be best to introduce yourself uh, to the audience, because I'm sure I would just make a mess of it. Um, So if you want to just tell people who you are, uh, and then we'll kind of jump off from there. Uh, Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books and other books and have been desperately avoiding another office job since uh, 2009 so far. So (laughs) uh, that's about where I am. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, what else? That's kind of the dream for all of us, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's just you know, getting away from the, the nine to five, which basically all of today in my nine to five, I was working from home and whatnot. Uh-huh. And it was just like, okay, come on. And I had my break. And then I was like, okay, write all the stuff about Claudia Gray. Listen to more of the podcast she's done <laughs> with other people and things like that. And just try because try, I was just so excited to speak with you. Because as I said, I, I really, really enjoyed uh, your writing. And before we delve into you know, Star Wars is the, is the main reason I sort of got in touch with yourself. But I, I want to ask a couple of non-Star Warsy questions first. Okay. Um, so one of the things is actually, uh, do you have, uh, I know you're really busy with writing and stuff, do you have like a, a specific writing process in the way of some people like, say, have to sit down in front of a computer for at least an hour a day and just have to write something and other people are like kind of an inspiration strikes? I, I just wonder what kind of writer you were. Um, it's an interesting question right now because this year I've really kind of been playing with my process a little bit and sort of seeing whether doing these a little bit differently may be more effective for me. Um, in ter- the things that have been consistent, I, I am somebody who's an outliner. I have to know where I'm going. 
I do not have to write every day, but I do need to be writing enough to make sure that I'm making meaningful progress on all my projects. Uh, honestly, one thing that I've been doing this year is trying not to work on weekends or trying not to work at night, you know, unless the deadline is really breathing down on me because uh, I'd really fall in the habit of going like, oh, I could be working now, I should be working now, to the point where I was not really getting any time that was away. Mm. And I'm a big believer that you need a little bit of time to just kind of fill the well. You mm. know, uh, you need to be able to unwind, you know, read and watch stories for yourself. Um, I had really starved myself of that for a while. So, um, so I don't work every day, but I work most days. Um, and I redid my office this year, like I think we all did when we found out we were going to have to do this <laughs> at home. Yes. But, yeah, I love my new office. I actually have a treadmill desk, which I've discovered I can write on. I mean, wow. very slowly, it's like half a mile an hour, but, uh, you know, if you write for two hours, you, you know, you've actually gotten somewhere. So, uh, or there's a couch I can lie down on, or there's a, um, a fold up desk, a Murphy desk, floating desk, whatever they call it. So, uh, I have one of those if I need to be sitting up and doing that. Uh, so that's all over the place. I tend to be most productive in my afternoons, I think. Mm. I'm not a big morning person. I am a big night person, but I'm trying to close up writing a little bit earlier now just to have a little bit more time on, time off. Because I find that if you don't say like, right, I'm not going to be working in these hours, there's a deadline to get to X, mm. uh, that I really drag a lot yeah you know? it, can, it can burn you out i mean especially in yeah. lockdown where we've got this weird thing where everyone's got oh, this yeah. massive well of time mm -hmm. but it's kind of with an asterisk next to it it's like oh you've got all this time in the world oh sweet yeah but you can't really see anyone you want to see you can't really go out and do anything you want to do right. and especially now it's becoming later because i'm in the uk so we're in lockdown two at electric avenue um, <laughs> i so, wish we were in lockdown more than uh, we are because it's terrifying over here but yeah um it, it's one of those things in America where I've got a couple of friends who are over there and it, it's quite scary of, of a lot of yeah. different things. But I'm not going to delve into that because we could talk about that the whole time. Uh, instead, I want to ask you, um, you've got there's, there's two more non-Stylesy questions specifically. And okay. one of them is actually on your website. It's under the FAQs. Mm -hmm. And it's just one question that... I thought you answered it so well on there that I thought I'd want people to hear what you have to say. So it's your advice to would-be writers. Um, you don't have to say exactly 100% what you said uh, on the FAQ things. And I do encourage people to check out your FAQs on the website because some of the questions are brilliant, especially the James McAvoy one. Um, but <laughs> what, what sort of advice would you have to, to would-be writers? All right. My most simple basic advice to that goes for everybody. Uh, one is read everything you can get your hands on. And it's amazing to me how many people want to be writers or want to write books, but then say they don't read that much, which, mm. you know, that's not going to work very well, probably. You really need to, um, you need to read not only the kinds of things you want to write, which, you know, teaches you about how that genre works and what's been done and what hasn't been done, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, a few random things. Uh, I find varying it up helps a lot. Um, it keeps you from, you know, 
molding yourself too much like the other people that write what you write and you don't know where inspiration is going to come from. You know, I have a book with a character that travels through parallel universes. And one of these universes is set in Russia during sort of an Imperial era. And another is set out on a deep sea oceanic, uh, research platform. And the only reason those universes exist were because I happened to read Nicholas and Alexandra and a book on rogue waves very close to the time that I had the idea for this book. So um, you need to keep feeding yourself fiction, nonfiction. You need to be a reader. Uh, the second part is to write as much as you possibly can. Uh, again, I can't tell everybody to write every single day because that isn't a thing that I have to do. Some people do but you have to be writing regularly enough that you're making progress on what you're working on and that you're able to let your style develop. Because I think they say it takes 10,000 hours to get good at something, to become an expert in something. And I think it's going to be 10,000 pages sometimes before you get where you're going. I think a lot of people sit down to write and they have this idea for a book and they're so excited. And then when the first few pages don't, work the way that they hope that they would, I think you get, it's too easy to get discouraged. Think, Oh, I can't write. And it's like, mm, that isn't the case at all, but you're going to have to write a lot more of the bad pages. You better go ahead and get them done. Um, and most of mine were about were in fan fiction where Mulder and Scully would kiss. So, you know, <laughs> uh, and then the third part is when you actually get to the point where you have a project that you're ready to start showing to the world is to, do your research to make sure you take care of that project well. Like, are you going to go traditional publishing or self-publishing? There are genres where self-publishing is a very valid option. There are genres where it really so much is not. Um, if you are going to self-publish, do you understand everything that that entails? If you're going to go traditional publishing, you know, what agents are you going to look at? Who handles stuff like what you work on? Um, I've, I've seen so many people, including some friends who have gotten projects together and then either got discouraged too quickly because they were submitting their story to the wrong magazines, or I had a friend who published, self-published a literary novel. And literary is one of the genres that doesn't do very well in e-publishing because those books really live and thrive on reviews, which self-publishing books generally aren't open to the big review Aries just because they would be inundated. So um, I don't want that to happen to you, listener. So if you get this project together that you want to see into the world, make sure that you take the time and you're not impatient and you really find out where this project is going to have its best chance of success. Wonderful. I mean, that is exactly why I asked you, because <laughs> as I say, I'll include links in the show notes to, you know, the various places people can get into or see what you're up to and that sort of jazz. But when I was, uh, once I reached out um, to you and basically we got the podcast in, I was like, okay, I've already got the, some of the questions, but I was like, <laughs> I just want to look at the FAQs just to make sure um, that I didn't, you know, say basically all of these questions that are exactly already on your website. But I read that and I thought that is such a good answer. And I just appreciate you uh, explaining that. So okay. linking in then with the uh, sort of now the sort of bridging the gap between your, your non-Star Wars novels and the Star Wars novels is do you find, and this podcast unfortunately is uh, kind of showing of that in, in a lot of ways, is do you find that you being a Star Wars uh, novelist uh, now, especially with the upcoming High Republic stuff as well, which is a massive thing I'll speak about in a little bit. Do you feel that 
people uh kind of your, your other stuff gets kind of ignored in some ways not not so much ignored but um overshadowed in some ways by some of your star wars works uh to a degree i mean it's surprising how much they aren't the same audiences that, i mean mm. a lot of star wars readers you don't know that I write other books, um, but also some of my young adult readers don't know that I write Star Wars books. Uh, so it depends sort of where I am as to whether anything's getting overshadowed or not. Um, I will say like the single thing that probably makes me happiest when I meet a fan at a convention is if they've got my Star Wars books and then they put down one of my original books for signature and like, I checked this out because I liked your Star Wars novels. And I'm just like, oh, thank you. Like that, that's the loveliest thing uh, for somebody to do. Um, and it makes me very happy. And, and also, I mean, the fact is, frankly, I mean, I work for Star Wars, but Star Wars also has to work for me in a way. And mm. I use things like going to conventions, et cetera. There are conventions that will pay for me to come as a guest because I write Star Wars. You know, when I'm at that convention, yeah, I'm going to talk Star Wars, but I'm there to sell my own stuff. You mm. know, the, the Disney marketing machine does not actually need me to <laughs> push this stuff. They're, they're on it. They got that, you know? So, you know, I go there and I hope that I'm going to get people interested in some of my own stuff. And a lot of times at conventions that works, you know, uh, it's definitely raised my profile as a writer. So, um, you know, it's sort of up to me to keep that from star, keep from being pigeonholed into star Wars and, mm. Because I think a lot of people, I definitely thought before I was published, I thought like, oh, that must be the highest paying kind of book there is in the world. And it is not, my friends. <laughs> uh, and, you know, so I, I really do long term financially, and I feel so weird having to talk about that, but it's my job. It's what I do. Um, you know, I have to be able to put emphasis and attention on my original work. That's, that's really the bread and butter of it. So, mm. um, but I'm very grateful that Star Wars gives me a platform to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a very good spotlight, especially, yeah. I mean, the new canon itself is incredible in so many different ways. And just so um, out of interest, because now what I'm going to do is, because I like to go to the, the conventions and whatnot, obviously huh. not this year and things, I'm going to look out, I'm going to make sure if you ever come to the UK, I'm going to go to the convention, go to one of your signings, I'll remind you who I am, because we're uh -huh. recording without video, uh, and I will bring all of the Star Wars books that I've got of yours, which are, I've got all for Lost Stars, Bloodline, Leia, Princess of Alderaan, and Master and Apprentice, as well as certain points of you if you count that because the short story and yeah. i'm going to be getting into the dark as well i'll also oh. bring along i'll buy and pick up and read uh, one of your other books so just out i've got the names of them written down um and i know you're doing something for dc soon as well which is amazing as well if there is any book series that you're most proud of that if if you if anyone could pick up um listening to this conversation and loving that your Star Wars books, some of my listeners, um, I did a Master and Apprentice book review uh, a month or so ago, and a couple of my listeners actually picked up the book specifically because of my review of it. And I'm, I'm going to be tackling all your other books as well. So oh, yeah. fingers crossed for more sales in that regard. Yes. So if there's any of your series that you are most proud of, that you're most happy with how they came out, because I know some are trilogies, some are series, what would you recommend to the fans? And then we'll talk about Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I'm really, I'm very proud, I would say, of both of my last two series. Um, mm. And it would sort of depend on the reader as to which one I would recommend. Um, 
the Firebird trilogy, which begins with A Thousand Pieces of You, that's the one I mentioned before, which is the daughter of two famous scientists chasing her father's killer through alternate dimensions. And if you like sort of big science fantasy and the aspect of seeing these incredibly different um, worlds, then that would be the one for you. And it has a bit more of a romantic bent to it. And then there's the Constellation Trilogy, which begins with the Defy the Stars. And if you're more into sort of the space opera part of it and that kind of adventure, that would be where I would turn. You know, I, I really love both of those series a lot. Um, honestly, I really love the Spellcaster series, but that was enjoyed by dozens of people worldwide and is very difficult to find in print. <laughs> I see. Well, I am sorry to hear about that with uh, Spellcaster, but you've got <laughs> such a wide, uh, you've got such a wide amount of books and things, and you can hear. And I heard this in some of the other uh, podcasts and interviews I listened to is that one of the best things about you as an individual, as well as especially the other four individuals that you've been collaborating with mm-hmm. for the whole High Republic, previously called Project Luminous thing, is that, and this is the same with the Mandalorian as well, is that you are a fan. Yeah. You genuinely, you're not just like, oh yeah, Disney, give me the paycheck, I'll write whatever Star Wars you want. You you are, uh, I won't say they're the story, I'm going to tell people to go listen elsewhere for the story, because I've heard it a lot of times. Sorry, guys. Um, but <laughs> when you hear the story of how you got it, you are so excited about it because it's Star Wars. And so connecting the sort of tissue of that with Star Wars and the other things that we've spoken about, I think one of the things I want to ask you, uh, so I'm kind of from the get-go, is because this is the main thing I want to talk to you about in a lot of ways, is that I absolutely adore so many of your characters that you made that are originals and things, but Rail Avaros is one of my favourite characters in probably anything. Wow. And he's he's just so interesting. And I, I said in the Master and Apprentice book review, I said one of the big standout things was he was a Jedi who he's so casual, mm-hmm. but he's not you know, to to kind of be blunt, he's not a dick about it. Essentially, he, he's like a he's like an everyman Jedi almost. But obviously, being a Jedi makes you not an everyman. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say thank you for him, and uh, that I'll ask another question about him in a moment. But in line with that, who is your favorite Star Wars character except Princess Leia? Because I'm pretty certain you'll say that. I have a sneaking suspicion. I know what you're going to say for your second closest, but <laughs> do you have like a, a favorite Star Wars character, excluding Leia, if you were going to choose Leia as your number one? I, I probably would choose Leia as my number one. She is incredible. It's just because yeah. you've written two books about her, and she is probably one of my favorites as well. So I just thought, let's not choose the one you've written two books about that you're clearly very into. <laughs> uh, I mean, I feel like everybody's in the same place right now, but I'm kind of really, really digging Grogu right now. So <laughs> really, I have a name for him, but just the naps and snacks ethos, I, I feel that. I feel that's... That's where I'd like to be. <laughs> <The naps laughs> snack zone. But, uh, but really, I think that character has been delightful. And I love um, Din Djarin, too. Mm. Uh, I, I enjoy him tremendously. But, of course, he's a character that you enjoy from the outside. You don't imagine yourself being Grogu in, unless, you know, you're really going for the naps and snacks. Uh, he's a character you imagine interacting with. Whereas I think usually our favorites tend to be the ones that we, you know, would like to think we're like, or would like mm. to be like, uh, something like that. But um, yeah, I enjoy him a lot. 
uh, I love R2D2 because I'm convinced that if you translated all his beeps, that he would be swearing up and down, you know, <laughs> I cannot believe I have to save your asses again, you know. just and the whole of Star Wars rests on him as well. Like you watch, every- especially the original trilogy. I mean, the prequels, yeah, there are certain parts in the prequels, but you watch the original trilogy, you're like, how does anyone get anything done without R2D2? <laughs> I mean, he's like the Hermione Granger of the Star yes. Wars universe. You know, it's sort of like, yeah, somebody else is the lead character, but who, you know, they would all be dead 10 times over but for uh rgd i don't know i almost like would have to think of characters i don't like and are there some honestly i used to be and i still am to some degree uh, a boba fett outlier i've never really thought he was that cool and then they had him do something cool in the mandalorian i was kind of like damn it now i can't just dislike boba fett anymore i guess the point (laughs) dang it you know I do see what you mean, though, with the, the Boba Fett hype, like, because I'm, I'm actually of the, the, not the prequel generation in so much as I like the prequels more than the originals. I, I like all three trilogies for different reasons, but my dad was of uh, the original trilogy uh, era, and he showed me a lot of the prequel stuff, and then... He sadly passed away before Force Awakens ever got announced. So part of my resurgence of my love for Star Wars and things, and some of the reasons is because of the uh, connective memory with him. But because of myself being of the the generation who was raised, you know, on uh, you know Phantom Menace, and then I saw Phantom Menace, and then I was ready to see Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Uh And with that, I I was like, oh yeah, Boba Fett, he's cool. You know, he's on screen for you know maybe ten minutes, if that, and he's he looks cool. Mm-hmm. And then there was not really, I mean, I know he's in the holiday special, which is a whole other conversation in itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in, in the latest episode, without spoiling what happens, he is very cool in, in that. But I mean, there are, you could almost have a whole podcast just talking about all of the coolest Star Wars characters and things. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I like uh, about many of your books is that even the Leia ones, although they focus on, say, the main uh, character obviously being Leia in mm-hmm. Bloodline and Leia Prince of Aldoran, and obviously Master and Apprentice being about Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. With that in mind, obviously Lost Stars had a slightly different trajectory. And I didn't read Lost Stars until after I'd read Master and Apprentice and Bloodline. But i tell you one thing that I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it, which was the the relationship side of things. And I mm-hmm. think there are certain parts of, of pages or chapters which you wrote them so beautifully that I was saying to my girlfriend, who I've been getting into Star Wars and stuff, and she's watched mm-hmm. all the series now and all the movies, so she's nice and up to date. I was saying, like, even if you didn't like Star Wars, you would love this book. And I just think you, the writing in Lost Stars is amazing in itself. So I wanted to just ask, do a lot of your books uh, have that sort of romance to have, sort of part of them? Is, is that something that you quite enjoy writing? It is something that I enjoy writing. Um you know, it's something I write a lot about in young adult where it, it is a little more expected, but, um, but it's also something that I kind of feel like has gotten a bad rap. I mean, romance is a very valid storytelling device. And, you know, I think it's sort of like, you know, there's this idea like, Oh, only, only women like romance. And it's sort of like, you know, if that were true, the human species would not, really work the way that it does <laughs> you know i don't actually think that's so or oh it's just um it's it, it is often stupidly done you know movies will sort of put two attractive people near each other and go well you know that that's what this is and they don't <laughs> actually build it but uh you know but if you had gone back in time and 
you know, 400 years, 500 years and said, you know, romance is not a good storytelling device, people like Shakespeare and Dante would have been saying, wait, what? <laughs> what? What? You know, the, obviously didn't think so. Um, even 200 years ago, uh, that wouldn't have been the case. So, you know, at its core, romance is about the union of opposites. Mm. Uh, you know, and duality is a huge thing in Star Wars. It's a huge thing to play with. And, uh, you know, you see it with the Jedi and the Sith. You see it in so many forms in that universe. And, uh, you know, Lost Stars was definitely a chance to have this romance and have it not be, you know, attractive person A, you know, is near attractive person B, but two people who have really very different ways of looking at the universe and who wind up on opposite sides of the war because of that, because of who they are, uh, you know, sort of the differences between them that had they lived out their lives in a planet at peace they might, you know, might never have been a big deal, you know, mm. but they're in a time and they're in a place where those differences put them literally in positions where they're supposed to be trying to kill each other. And how do you reconcile this? Uh, you know, that's a story that I was hugely excited to tell. And, uh, you know, I think there was a lot of, um, uh, trepidation about that sort of in the fan community. Um, mm. I, I know you're a prequels boy, but Anakin and Padme did not give the yeah, best. I, I thought that when you said earlier about, oh, where they put two attractive people together, I was like, ah, it's Attack of the Clones in it. As much as I love yeah. that film, that yeah. is the worst part. When I was a kid that had it on VHS, I used to just skip <laughs> the Anakin yeah. Padme parts and get to the cool bits. And see, like, and the thing is, that, sorry, now I'm talking about Attack of the Clones and not Raw Stars, but the problem is, like, the romance is the only thing you're given to hang on to to make you invest in Anakin mm -hmm. and care about him in that way because you know what's coming. You know, and the Clone Wars TV show was able to do this so much more effectively because they were able to spend so much time with Anakin yes. that you get to see him being a mentor to Ahsoka and a friend to Obi-Wan and see him doing wonderful heroic things. And you're able to really, really care about him. And they do show him being arrogant here or a little too angry there or a little too possessive of Padme in this other place because they had the time. They had so much time. Attack of the Clones, you had two hours to make us invest in him. And they spent it all on this romance that was just not very compelling. And there should have been room for that because, you know, Anakin and Padme both were people in positions of power. And I felt like, you know, that story could have been told about how the, these people are more than just their faces, you know, they're more than their proximity. They're two opposite worldviews trying to find that place where you unite. Like that's where romance as a storytelling device has its power. Mm, yeah, I mean, that's a very good way of putting it. And sort of jumping off that is, um, it sounds almost like I'm trying to make a pun and I'm not, so apologies, okay. but uh, the gray area. Okay. Uh, the gray area is something that it's always intrigued me in, in many different things. When you watch movies or uh, read books or anything like that, it, it's when it's not so obviously the black and white in a sense, you know? And I think in Star Wars, in certain aspects, it can unfortunately have that. You know, one of the things I've, I've spoken to people about, the prequels and the originals and the sequels, and as I said, I like all the trilogies, but 
they all have a slightly different feel to them. Uh-huh. And I think the black and the white sort of part of, you know, the Jedi are good, full stop, the Sith are bad, full stop. I like how the new canon is trying to be a bit more like, you know, not it's not as easy, it's not as simple as that. And that's one of the things I've really liked about Last Jedi as well. I, I genuinely love that film. And linking in with the grey area, I think that's something that you do very very well and the most the last book that i finished uh, of yours was leia princess of Alderaan. that that was bluntly that was the one that was least exciting to me of the ones i had remaining i knew i was going to read it but i didn't prioritize that and i was really surprised how good it was like it might be my favorite now i can't decide um but the gray area that you tackle in in not only uh leia princess of Alderaan, but in lost stars especially and what you do in all of your books so i think that the grey area in itself, is that something that really intrigues you as both a writer but also as a content consumer? Uh, it is. Um, and it's an interesting line to walk with Star Wars because, like you say, certainly in its foundations, it's very sort of yin-yang ethos. It's, uh, it's good tends to be very good and bad tends to be very bad. Um, and I feel like you have to preserve some element of that Uh, you know, I am not interested in becoming an empire apologist at any time. (laughs) Um, but I think the question is sort of, you know, how, how do people realistically wind up in these places and, and how do they, um, navigate these decisions in this entirely different galaxy where they have different tensions working on them all the time? Um, I mean, going back to Lost Stars, that was sort of the thing with Sienna. She couldn't be somebody who was like, yes, let's blow up Alderaan. That's great. Uh, Nobody wants to spend time with this person. But uh, at the same time, I felt like there had to be some room. Somebody in the Imperial Starfleet had to not be mustache twirling evil. What what are the rationalizations that you go through? And... um, yeah, I'm I'm interested in playing with that in Star Wars while still preserving that fundamental sense of the light versus the dark, which I do think is kind of critical to the to the flavor and the spirit of the whole thing. So mm. yeah, that's that's really the fun thing is going there without completely losing that foundation. Yeah, it's almost like the the way I'm visualizing it of you speaking is almost like goalposts in a sense. So you've kind of got the post of, you know, the ultimate good, let's say as Yoda as an example, and then the post of the ultimate bad, which is like, you know, Palpatine. And then as you kind of come in a little bit by a few inches, you've then got almost every air quotes baddie and then almost every air quotes goodie mm-hmm. within inches of that. You know, you've got Darth Vader and um, Grand Moff Tarkin they are, as you say, like almost moustache twirling the evil. And then you've got the good. And, you know, as much as I love Obi-Wan Kenobi, he is very much that really good boy. And then, you mm-hmm. know, you get Luke and things as well, which is uh, following that same sort of line. And one thing about many of your books and whatnot is I touched upon it earlier, which is the supporting characters. And one thing I want to flag is that I really liked in Leia Princess of Alderaan um, how you portrayed uh, Holdo. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I think I read somewhere that you mentioned that her young was almost like a, a Luna Lovegood sort of character. Yeah. So I want to ask about what made you 
kind of go down that route with that as, and linking on I just want to tack on and say Luna Lovegood is actually my favourite character in all of <laughs> Harry Potter and I read that uh, re- as in I read the um, that section I think you said about uh, Luna Lovegood and Holdo before reading Princess Leia of Alderaan so when I went in there I was like oh, I'm going to love it and I did That she is she's probably for me my, the favourite part of that and obviously her in Last Jedi is incredible but I just want to ask you a bit about how it was kind of developing her as a character in, in some ways for the for the book yeah, I actually got to read The Last Jedi script early, which is the only time that's ever happened uh, <laughs> in my Star Wars experience. Uh, I wish that I had a picture of my face when I read the part where uh, Kylo kills Snoke because I was mm, so happy. Oh my God. I was it's re- one of my favorite moments in the whole of the sequel trilogy, awesome. uh, genuinely. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was very happy at that time. And... You know, and after I read it, actually, I was a little bit disappointed because I tend not to want to be spoiled. And I was like, I didn't actually have to read that whole book for this. Mm. Um, But the main thing that I sort of took away, you know, I wasn't able to see any rushes or anything that would have shown me how Laura Dern was going to play the part. Mm. So I just started with the core thing, like, this is a person who gets misunderstood. Um, She does not necessarily communicate in the most straightforward way at every moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously that's going to feel very different. Um, you know, there's been some criticism that, well, like she's not the same in, in Princess of Alderaan than she is in the last Jedi. And it's like, I think most of us are not the same, you know, hanging out with our friends when we were 14 and <laughs> we were certainly, you know, like, I don't know. Well, we're not all generals now, but I'm pretty sure Dwight D. Eisenhower was a very different character, (laughs) you know, hanging out with his friends at age 14 versus D-Day. You know, Mm. I I would hope that those would be very (laughs) different, you know, but I thought I wanted to start from this place where like, okay, this person is a little unconventional and maybe she was a little more like that back then. And she was still sort of finding the way to sort of translate her worldview to make it something she could communicate to the rest of the world or worlds, I guess, in this case. Uh, Mm. And that let me go somewhere a little more fun with it and a little bit lighter. And I felt like we kind of needed that balance also in Leia's life Um, Mm. because Leia never did get to be completely carefree, even before the rebellion you know, she has duties and responsibilities as a princess. She expects to lead a world. Um, you know, her parents talk to her everything about everything, including, you know, the protocol and you know, planetary scale budgeting and things like this. You know, she didn't get to be completely carefree at any point. And so I felt like to capture some of that flavor of that age and adolescence, she needed a friend who was much more that way. And so Haldo got to be that person. Mm. Yeah. And it's kind of that, um, I think you touched upon in a previous uh, interview as well, where there's so much time between when Princess uh, Leia of Alderaan is set, which I think is around three or so years uh, before New Hope, because I think she's meant to be 16-ish, isn't she, in in, uh, Leia? Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, so my timeline's like, um, <laughs> normally when I'm doing like, comics in canon, I have, get to refer, I've got this little cheat sheet that I've got, which has got when all the things happen, you know, ABY, BBY, all the sort of timelines and things. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes it gets a bit muddled. Um, but, you know, with that, say, Leia being uh, 16, all the way to, um, you know, Last Jedi, which is, I think, 33 or 34 ABY. Uh-huh. So the difference in time there 
is at the very minimum 30 years, but it's getting near 40 or so. Right. So you're thinking like that sheer amount of time, people do change, but also it kind of shows that Leia has always been quite, especially in the, in the sequel trilogy, is a lot more understanding of people. She, mm-hmm. she, she gets, she understands people. I think even in the yeah. original trilogy, you do get that vibe. And I think what I loved about uh, Princess of Alderaan, the book, was at the start, she finds Holder quite jarring. Mm-hmm. And then... I like how when Holder says certain things, you've put in sort of um, like uh, Leia's thoughts, like italics, kind of like, I'm starting to understand Holder's language. And like, I know what she meant by that. And then you mm-hmm. kind of, for a couple of them, you say, because Holder says something quite bizarre. And then after you go, I think she meant this. And then by the end of the book, she's like, I know exactly what Holder meant. And you kind of as a reader do as well. Mm-hmm. So I really like that touch too. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I think that is part of the whole process of, of Princess of Alderaan. It's sort of learning how other people work, not only Haldo, but some of the aliens uh, that she deals with. And uh, and also how her personality does her uh, in various situations. You know, what instinct she needs to fully trust and what instinct she needs to maybe keep a little bit of an eye on. Yeah, I mean, and it is it's really good in that um, sense as well. As I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed all of your uh, books for a lot of the time for reasons I didn't actually expect to enjoy them, um, which is is more so, you know, I, go, I went into like Master Apprentice and I was like, Obi-Wan's not my favourite character and uh, Qui-Gon is also one of my favourite characters. I can't wait to hear about them. And then as soon as Ray Lavros is there, I was like, I don't care anymore. Just give me more <laughs> Ray Lavros. And linking in with uh, Ray Lavros actually is I want to ask you about um, I listened to Kevin Scott's uh, Duke of Jedi Lost, yeah. uh, the audio drama, which is brilliant. And I, I read somewhere that he asked you a few questions about uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, because for listeners who don't know, it's kind of like how Dooku kind of left the Jedi Order, where he kind of got to, where he is when you see him in Attack of the Clones and whatnot, because there's so much history to Dooku. Um, and in that, he... Am I right in thinking that he basically spoke to you uh, about some advice because he wanted to get Ray Lavros in there? I just want to kind of ask... How much involvement did you have in Duke of Jedi Lost in that degree? And then bouncing off that collaboration-wise, do you and other Star Wars authors uh, collaborate that much outside of High Republic? And then my next question will be, collaboration with High Republic as much as you could tell us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but with, with Kevin Scott's Duke of Jedi Lost specifically, I'm intrigued by the sort of collaborative aspect of that, of when uh, fellow Star Wars creators discuss things with each other, if, if very much at all. Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, speaking, you know, collaboratively, Dooku Jedi Lost was not, oh, Kevin came to me to ask questions. It was the two of us asking each other very much Mm. so. I started on my project a little bit before he did, but we very much stayed in step with it because, you know, I was going to have to go back into Qui-Gon's past and that's necessarily going to involve Dooku. And so we knew that it was important to kind of get on the same page. And um, once he had read it, uh, he wound up putting Rail into uh, Dooku Jedi Lost. And I was like, how dare you write a Rail dialogue to me? I'm angry. I'm angry now. Although it was weird because until I heard him in the audio play, I hadn't understood that for some reason I heard Rail in my head as Australian. Okay. All of a sudden he was very Southern and I was like, well, all right, that works too. But I have no idea why I heard him as Australian. There we go. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we wanted it to be the same thing. We knew it would work better. Well, first of all, we just knew that we didn't want to write separate things and then, you know, 
have the editors go, oh, you guys don't agree, and then undo what had been done. Uh, mm. You know, we knew that building together was going to give us, you know, the strongest way to go through the editorial process. And also, you know, each project can be enjoyed individually, but I do think you get something else out of it if you read and listen to both mm-hmm. of them. Uh, I think you get a little bit deeper picture of kind of what happened with Rail, what happened with Dooku, what Qui-Gon's earlier years were about. Um, and then generally there isn't that much collaboration otherwise. I kind of wish there were more, but sometimes you're not allowed to say what projects you're working on, mm. you know, at at a given moment. So um like it was really funny actually because after the first from a certain point of view anthology came out uh a lot of people are like oh we could see that you and Kevin worked together on the force ghosts i hadn't even met Kevin until the <laughs> i think the launch for uh from a certain point of view and we just happened to think the same way about force ghosts which is lucky um so I, I kind of wish there were a bit more collaborative energy in that way, but I also understand why there isn't uh, mm. just because again, you're not able to announce everything all the time. And also sometimes the projects that might be the most natural fits to go together aren't worked on at the same time at all. Mm. You know, the two projects may be a couple years apart actually. So that's how that is. But with the high Republic, we, you know, we speak, constantly we have a slack channel and we talk all the time and you know try to really synthesize this so that hopefully each piece feels like its own independent story but hopefully it all feels like one truly organic and integrated world Mm. yeah because it was obviously I know you, I'm not going to ask you any direct questions about the content of the High Republic because I know how locked down it has to be with all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to get you into trouble. Um, but with, uh, I was very excited because uh, Charles Saul, um, when I've been getting into Star Wars, I've been getting into more individuals within Star Wars who have been creating the wider canon. You know, the big name on people's li- lips at the moment is, you know, Dave Filoni and John Favreau because, you know, Filoni did a lot of the animated series and Favreau's doing Mandalorian along with collaborations with a lot of other people. But so I'm one step behind in a sense, or one step away from that, in a sense, is then you've got the comics and you've got the books. And I've I'm massively into the comics and the books. So I've read almost every Star Wars comic now, so I'm, mm. I'm getting there. Uh, well, actually, every Marvel Star Wars comic, the IDW ones, I have not yet delved into. But with that, so I was reading the comics and things, and I was like, oh, I can't wait for Charles Saul's uh, book to come out. You know, I'm really excited, mm. and I'll d- tackle the other High Republic books as well. And then this year, as especially because obviously things got delayed and whatnot, understandably, where I've been reading yours, I'm like do I prefer Claudia Gray's books or do I prefer Charles Saul's comics? And I was, they're two very different things. Obviously one is down to some of your own interpretation and imagery. And the other one is to do with, you know, the artists, how they've done it and individual issues and whatnot. And so with that though, it connects that there's so many creators in Star Wars that are creating a lot of really, really cool things. And I want to ask, I know that you're delving into comics for 2021. Yes. I'm not asking you if you're delving into any Star Wars things, because I'm sure if that was announced that I would know the answer to it already. But more so, from you speaking with Charles Saul, who I know has basically been in comics, a comics author as much as he has been, and then he's just recently or soon to release his own book, and where on the flip side, you've been writing your own novels, and then you've got a uh, a graphic novel that you're involved with coming out. Is it quite different writing for a, a, an air quotes book book and a graphic novel? 
Uh, it is. Uh, and it's interesting because both Charles and I talked about that uh, on both sides, which was fun. Um, yeah, my first comic, House of L for DC Comics, coming out in January, had to give the plug in there. Um, it was very different. And I also spoke about Cav with that, uh, too. He's done a lot of comics, and he'll, he'll be doing uh, some High Republic comics work, for sure. Um, I've already pre-ordered it. I'm excited. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, but it was it was really good to be able to have that to bounce off of because um, it is a learning process. It is a different thing. And the thing is, you can, you know, I read the books and I talked to people and did an online class about writing comics. And you hear, you know, the image is the story. The image is the story. You trust the image to do part of the heavy lifting of the story. Mm. And you can know that mentally. But it is another matter to actually relax as a storyteller and feel that mm. really actually trusted. Uh, you know, I think it was a full of the first book in the trilogy before I was like, oh, I get it now. Um, you know, what is it they say? Uh, you can rent advice, but you have to buy wisdom. You know, uh, people can tell you and you can try to keep a thing in mind, but ultimately there are some things you have to learn for yourself. And for me as a storyteller, that was when doing it. Um, you know, I, I will tell you, I am not currently signed up to do any Star Wars comics. I would love for that to change. It has been a lot of fun working on that. Mm, I can imagine. And it is, it is one of those things where with one of the things that High Republic excited me so much was, you know, as I said, Charles all writing a book. So I was like, amazing. And obviously yourself doing the same. And then you've got Justina Ireland, who I haven't actually read any of her novels, but I think they're more junior novels. That's my, if they're not all junior oh, novels, I'm really has, sorry. Yeah, she has some great young adult stuff. Dread now. Mm, yeah, because we're speaking about actually young adult because we've mentioned it slightly earlier and I want to clarify, I had my own, uh, prejudice is the wrong word, but I had my own misconceptions about young adult uh, novels. You know, I read them when I was a young adult, mm -hmm. uh, not so much now, uh, but when I heard about Lost Stars and things, I heard uh, several other people go on about say how amazing Lost Stars is and I saw, you know, it was a YA novel and I, I hadn't necessarily thought about it and then it was a young adult and I was like, Oh, does that mean it's aimed at a younger audience? And I just want to—I want to ask your opinion on this because I'm sure because you have written quite a lot of YA books, you have strong opinions on this. But from my own perspective, when I read, I think Leia Prince of Alderaan is class a YA book as well. Yeah. I when I read both of them, I don't get oh this is based for a younger audience. I just feel like it's almost more accessible because from what I can tell, the majority of the time, young adult novels are just novels without loads and loads of swearing in which you don't really get in the star wars universe and the main characters are generally young adults or teenagers coming of age at least that's how i've kind of interpreted it and they are some of my absolute favorite stories and some of my favorite movies books and etc but I, I want to get your take on young adult the terminology specifically yeah i think there is sort of this idea that oh it's simplified or it's dumbed down in some way which is really not the case at all i mean young adult books are about the coming of age experience mm -hmm. in some critical way uh i mean that's really the dividing line and there are a lot of classic novels that if they came out today you know i think famously like to kill a mockingbird you know that would be considered a young adult book rightfully, mm -hmm. because it is about the transition from childhood and dependence and maybe not total innocence, but one idea of how the world is to 
responsibility to independence to a more sophisticated or at any rate more complex view of the world constant and um and lost stars honestly kind of only has a foot in young adult uh they they sort of age out of that as the story goes on but it certainly begins there so we felt like it was fair for it to be in that zone uh leia princess of alderaan i think is much more really is leia's changing from you know a, a child i mean a a very intelligent educated child who has grown up with a lot of responsibility but still somebody who looks to her parents really for guidance and thinks this is the one track of my life to being somebody who has made her own decisions and is charting out her own path and is never going to think the world is that simple ever again so um yeah i i really feel like that's the only big thing and there's with lots young adult novels with lots of swearing in them it just sort of depends they just yes. sort of say like use it if you need it mm. you know um but honestly young readers they're not the problem it's parents and uh and librarians that will <laughs> buy the young adult books if, if they're swearing too much <laughs> We're getting sort of nearer the end of the time here, and I know that you have you're a very busy individual with your hands in many pies or many books, more so. Um, so we'll start to kind of wrap things up. But I do have a couple more questions uh, for you, and okay. one of them is actually it's to do with obviously Star Wars. One of, one of the things I love the most about Star Wars, and regardless of what people think of Disney recanonizing things and kind of air quotes getting rid of a lot of legends, even though you know a lot they're bringing a lot of stuff back anyway. Um, one of the things that I've noticed and one of the things that I've had as a reader um, of your, your books and things that I really love, and just to echo the point in case it wasn't clear earlier, young adult novels are amazing. And so if anyone sees it's a young adult on anything, ignore the effect that says young adult if you're an adult and just read it because it's probably going to be amazing. And with with the whole universe of Star Wars, as I said, the thing I love most about um, it is where you, know, you can read these books and you can connect them to the shows and the the movies and all these sorts of other aspects and i've noticed that almost per author so i've noticed charles saul does it and i've noticed that you do as well you almost have your own inner star wars universe within that in a sense of i've noticed there's certain um either characters or planets or or things that get brought up in Charles Saul's body of works as well as your body of works mm-hmm. um, there's the helmet of Momin which I think has shown up in many of Charles Saul's works including his uh, Lando comic a while ago and also his Darth Vader run but then with your work for example I think it's um, if I'm pronouncing this right uh, Pamathe Pamathe the, the water world with chains on it that I think Pamath. shows up in yeah 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 that's it Pamath I'm over I'm trying to make it sound too fancy <laughs> um, but yeah th- I've noticed that there's certain things that, like if you create the world or if you name the world or you bring it up in one of your books, then because you know you've created that and you know it exists in the canon, you can then put it in your other stuff. So I don't know if you actually consciously think about that that much or if that's more just a kind of a half coincidence. Um, part of it is, I definitely am conscious of it. Um, part of it is just that I made it up and I like it and I'm likely <laughs> to think of it, but also, um, you know, you don't know what's necessarily going on in the rest of canon. You know, mm-hmm. I don't get to find out what happens on the Mandalorian early. I, I have no idea what's going to be on the Obi-Wan Kenobi TV show, you know, um, 
uh, all of that is is unknown to me. And if I start to go, hey, you know, we're going to have this on. I'm just throwing this out at random. Corellia, for all I know, there's something going on on Corellia at that point in time that I don't know about yet Mm -hmm. that could really complicate the story. Whereas the likelihood that anything big is going down on Pomarth, it's lower. (laughs) (laughs) Probably I've got that, Uh, you know, and I do try to mention some things from other people's books as well. uh, But I tend to leave it just as mentions because I kind of want to leave it open for them. So I think, yeah, but you kind of wind up mapping out a little bit of an area that, um, you know, the rest of canon probably isn't heavily tied to at that time. So it's, uh, it's just kind of cleaner, obviously, uh, to just sort of um, kind of stick with what you know is going to work in that situation. And also, you do love it. I love Pomar. It's such a cool place. Why, why am I not writing more about Pomarth right now? I'm, I'm having that thought in my head. I yeah. don't know why. why aren't you, Claudia? That's what I'm asking. Yeah, okay. Yeah. The next book then idea, and I'm not taking no for an answer here, is Ray Lavaros goes to Pomarth. I'm never going to stop mentioning Ray Lavaros. So I want to warn you. Like, okay. if, if we ever chat again, if you release Star Wars comics or if years to come, you come back on my show, I will mention Ray Lavaros because I just think he's one of the most underrated characters in all of Star Wars. Um, <laughs> I would love to write him again. I don't know if or when I would ever get that chance, but I would love to do that. Yeah, you have to find out from uh, the sort of the story group of like, just to clarify, you haven't said anywhere that Ray Lavaros died in Order 66 or anything like that, have you? Because if not, I've got a really cool idea. Um, but with that, so as I said, we're coming to the end, so I will not take up much more of your time. But I want to ask one question that I flagged to you before you press record. Okay. It was specifically about um, the start of The Mandalorian, uh, the first episode with Cobb Vanth. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people who listen to the show know that I was incredibly excited about Cobb Vanth because I love the Aftermath books by Chuck mm-hmm. Wendig. They were the first, I think the Ahsoka novel by E.K. Johnston, I think that was the first book I read in the new canon. And then shortly after, because obviously, you know, Clone Wars got stopped early and I was like, I need more Ahsoka. And that was before uh, Rebels and whatnot. And so it was, um, I read the Aftermath books and then Cobb Vanth just shows up in little interlude chapters and things and i was like oh that's really cool finding out you know what happened and a lot of people who read the books when mandalorian came out they were like oh my god Cobb vanth he t- this he was mentioned in like three books in like one chapter each like years ago when the new canon was just finding its footing and he's actually on the big screen so with that and obviously you've already mentioned the mandalorian so i know you love it and it's great yeah do you with the new canon a lot of people have used the term milking when they talk about new Star Wars films coming out and I want to slap those people because I just want more Star Wars content mm-hmm. and what a lot of people don't see I think is that this is the start of it's almost like this has been phase one of the new uh, Star Wars canon you know, almost yeah. synonymous to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way so with that in mind do you feel that as things are starting to branch out and there's more and more content that there's going to be more room on uh the silver screen as well as, you know, the big screen is the movies and things, but obviously Disney Plus has got its own huge platform now. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's now more of an opportunity for some of these smaller characters in maybe just the, solely in the comics and the books to come more front to the to the, the screen? Can you foresee or hope at least for that sort of thing to happen more frequently? I would love for that to happen. Whether or not that's going to happen, I don't know. But then again, you know, I knew nothing about Cobb Vanth until he was there. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I... I think it's awesome. I hope that they would. Um, it would be wonderful to see 
um, any of my original characters wind up having that kind of um, reach and be great to just see them, I suppose. If I were going to wish one of them into um, The Mandalorian, it would probably be Nash Windrider. From oh, Lost I do love Windrider. Because when we leave him, I mean, he is this absolute zealot for the Empire. Mm-hmm. And he is working on trying to rebuild things, uh, you know, post Jakku. And so he's in that position. This is what they're running up against in The Mandalorian. Uh, I would absolutely love to see where he is. Um, You know, of course, I still hope to write a Lost Stars 2 someday so they can have Nash, but don't kill him. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he strikes me as somebody who could show up. It would, it would be really cool, but how likely it is, I cannot tell you. I also don't know whether they would come and be like, hey, you should you know talk with us. We're going to do X and Y with this character. Or if I would just be sitting there watching The Mandalorian, all of a sudden he'd be like, hi, I'm Nash Windrider. And it would be, it might be just as much news to me as it was to anybody else. You might even prefer that, just being able to be like, you'd be like that the, uh, the DiCaprio meme that's going around at the moment, where you'd be like pointing at the screen going, I made him. I know he, he's my character. Imagine how amazing that would be. <laughs> I have to tell you, you probably have heard this in my other reviews, but like my apex moment right after I turned in an edit of Lost Stars, which was uh, originally there was a destruction in space. And then they were like, hey, tie this into the Battle of Jakku. And I didn't really know what it was yet. But it's like, oh, Jakku, crash the Star Destroyer on Jakku. It was like, right, got it. And it was like literally like the day after or the same day it was right there. They released that second trailer for The Force Awakens that shows Ray's speeder going across the desert and it goes in front of that Star Destroyer with the John Williams music going. And I was just like, I crashed that ship. I did that <laughs> personally. And that was just about as good as it gets, I have to tell you. I mean, that is absolutely fantastic and i could probably chew your ear off all night claudia but as i said you're a busy woman you've got a lot of star wars to created things and i want to thank you for all of not only the time you've taken to speak with me i do hugely appreciate it i know many of my listeners uh, are very excited i've been dropping little hints by i don't like to name drop especially when i'm really excited because (laughs) i don't necessarily believe in jinxing or anything but i was like just in case it doesn't happen i don't want all my audience's dreams to be smashed as well as mine but we've got it recorded it is fantastic and so is there any sort of final statements you want to say to people um as i said i'll include links to your website and i'll mention in the in the show notes as well about the firebird trilogy and constellation and all of the sorts of your other works as well including you know your high republic um, book that's coming out that i'm incredibly excited for but is there any sort of final words that you'd like to say to the listeners before we hang this up i guess uh, this is going to sound so cheesy but this is a thing that I am tremendously grateful for and the fans and the readers are the ones that make that possible. And, you know, I don't forget that ever at all. And I appreciate that support more than you guys will ever know. That's perfect. Uh, that's wonderful. And well, Claudia, I incredibly do appreciate you for everything you've done, not only as an author in itself for all of the books that you've read, which I haven't read obviously all of them, I'm afraid, but the Star Wars things as well and everything that you've got going for the future and obviously the DC comic House of L and everything you're doing. I appreciate you. My listeners definitely appreciate you from all the reviews that I've had of people reading Master and Apprentice and all my next book reviews. 
apart from maybe Charles Saul's A High Republic book, all the next ones are going to be of your one. So I'm hoping uh-huh. that a huge other slew of uh, readers and things will get turned onto your stuff. And I will eventually get round to reading one of the, the non-Star Wars books. And then when you definitely, and you can't get out of this, when you definitely 100% without a shadow of a doubt come to the UK at some point oh, for I a will. convention, then I will be there with my four, well, by then five, maybe even more Star Wars books of yours. And then at least one of your non-Star Wars books. And I'll be like, you spoke to me in a podcast a little while ago. How are you doing? So just thank you so much again. No, like seriously, let's put it out there. Like London Comic-Con organizers or where else do they have them in the UK? Uh, it's basically there's London. I think Manchester has its own one as well. And, and there's lots of like other ones as well. Yeah. Uh, all those guys, if anybody listening to this does those, I will, once of course we are able to leave our homes, uh, I absolutely am happy to do that. Would love to come to the UK. It would be great. Wonderful. Cool. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. This has been really great. No worries. It's been so much fun speaking with you, uh, Claudia. And yeah, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. And I think the only, the last thing to say to you really is may the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again, Claudia. All right. And that's the end of the podcast. Thanks as always for tuning in, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed my chat with Claudia Gray as much as I did. Wherever you're listening to this, for clarity, genuine chit chat, that is found on any of the podcatcher apps. That's on YouTube, on Spotify, all those usual places. And every episode, I speak to someone different about whatever some of them are authors some are filmmakers some are people that i'm just friends with there's stuff about nerd culture mental illness work ethic weight loss all kinds of different things so you can check out genuine chit chat anyway you want to find that for my specific star wars podcast it is called star wars comics in canon it is found on the feed of comics in motion who is now a family of podcasters that i get involved with very regularly and in the show notes i've basically kept the show notes as to what they normally are in genuine chit chat just for a kind of eye on what it's like in genuine chit chat because this conversation although it was around star wars the structure of it the feel of it and how i've kind of done the intro and outros is much more close to how i handled genuine chit chat so i thought i would just keep it nice and simple kind of keep to that sort of general template so for clarity i did review claudia gray's book master and apprentice on episode 28 of styles comics and canon i'm already starting to plan to do the reviews for her other books i've got lost stars layer princess of order on and also bloodline all kind of lined up but i imagine what's going to happen is because of the high republic book into the dark that's coming out as well as charles saul's one which i think is a light of the jedi because of those two coming out i'm likely going to do maybe one more book review on here before reviewing one of the high republic books i haven't 100 percent decided as of yet but the high republic books come out at the start of january so i'm going to decide which one to read first which is going to be difficult and then obviously i'm going to read the second one shortly after i'm also going to be tackling the high republic comics on there i've pre-ordered both the idw ones which are high republic adventures aimed at a slightly younger audience and also cavern scott's just standard high republic comics uh, which are based more so for sort of teens and and over sort of age bracket Um, but from the perspective of styles comics and canon i'm going to be tackling the high republic quite a lot uh, I'm going to, I imagine per story arc, I'll probably do an episode about that sort of thing uh, while also trying to read the books and things and give context in those manners as well. So that's generally what you can expect from Styles Comics and Canon. I've got a few other things planned. I've got a Thrawn. Uh, he's the first Thrawn canon book. Uh, they did a comic adaptation of that. So I'm tackling that in the next episode, which will be out next week at the standard time on 
comics and motion uh so that that's kind of a general overview of things to do with star wars and whatnot of what you can kind of expect and things generally from star wars comics and canon i think i've got one or two episodes left and then i'll kind of call it a day for this year and then i'll start again in 2021 and similar to genuine chit chat i think i'm going to have maybe one more conversation at the after this one which i believe is going to be a christmas orientated chat with a podcast i have collaborated with in the past so we're going to see how that all kind of goes and then normally between christmas and new year i don't generally release much content because i just want to chill out and not have to edit or release or do anything really um so for clarification's sake that's kind of what you can expect from either channel going forward there's not really a huge amount else to add on this one apart from i'd say if you enjoyed the chat sharing it will be even more of a big deal to myself because you know as i said i'm going to try and get more and more star wars creators on the show both on genuine chit chat and on star wars comics and canon i want to try and widen uh how many guests i have who are specifically to do with creating star wars content because i just find it incredibly interesting and obviously it is something i'm passionate about but yeah aside from that all the usual links are in the show notes guys you know i was involved in a comics on trial episode recently where i was prosecuting the rise of skywalker against tony farina i've done one comics on trial episode where i was defending phantom menace against scott weatherly of the 20th century geek podcast i've been on a recent episode of indie comic spotlight where myself and tony spoke with the author mark russell about his works the second coming and billionaire island me and tony also reviewed scott pilgrim versus the world the movie with dave of comics emotion as well and i was also on an episode of the robin slim show which is its own thing completely separate from comics emotion or anything like that and that was released on november 17th so lots of different things i've been involved with recently things to come in the future as well that i've been involved with as well so it's a really exciting time and for 2021 it's going to be a lot of fun so any of you listeners i really recommend you know follow me on social media at genuine chit chat on twitter instagram and facebook and subscribe to both feeds subscribe to the genuine chit chat podcast feed so you get more conversations that are like this the interview slash conversational style ones and then also subscribe to comics in motion because there's loads of great shows out there almost every day of the week there's a new show and they are made by different hosts of people some are about superheroes specifically some are discussion shows some are about movies my one is obviously about star wars there's lots of variations there so if you have any even remote whether you're like a a nerd and you just watch the movies of marvel dc and star wars or if you read some of the comics or the books or anything else there's enough content for any level of consumer that you are you will find something you enjoy in comics and motion so i really recommend you guys check that out if you're not already listening to it on that feed but yeah that's relatively it from me guys thank you so much for listening as always i do really really appreciate it i couldn't have got claudia gray on the show if you guys weren't such uh, passionate listeners and things so it, it motivates me to try and reach for things that are higher and also it means when i have a bigger audience i can then reach for those bigger guests too so really appreciate you guys um if i don't speak to you beforehand i'm gonna release other episodes but in case you don't listen to them i hope you have a good holiday season and things a good end to 2020 because it's been a roller coaster of a year and fingers crossed 2021 will be a lot of fun but you know stay up to date with me you can contact me in any of the usual places and you can always email me you can either email me at genuinechitschat at outlook.com or you can email me at star wars comics in canon at outlook.com both go to the same inbox i get all the responses just the same so yeah as again guys thank you so much and i'll talk to you guys next week